has come. Just like he said he would for years and years to silence our doubts and greatest fears. Fears that have made themselves known far too long. Like God is absent and aloof. That's just dead wrong. Wrong like the way that we thought he would come. Not a palace of gold, but a Bethlehem slum. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Not a politician, not a president, not a dictator. But a king we call the great emancipator. The emancipator who came to set the captives free. He bled and died nailed to a tree. A tree, that's what the apostle Peter calls it. 1 Peter 2.24. And in his brutal death, our sins he bore. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Because let's face it. Our hearts are like storehouses consumed of self. We've placed Father, Son, and Holy Spirit up on the shelf. Like on the shelf where we store away every Christmas thing. Boxes of lights and once a year songs we sing. We sing, oh come let us adore him. But if our hearts are honest, it might as well go, oh come let us ignore him. Wow, that sounds harsh and a little convicting. But look at our world and the sin that's addicting and conflicting and restricting and evicting Jesus from our focus. But may this provoke us, the love that awoke us from a deep, dark slumber to sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing because the heavens thunder and declare God's glory and we get to taste and see and experience the story, the story of how God sent his one and only son and in his life, death, and resurrection, our salvation is one. One is the victory over sin and death, and so with all our lungs and with every breath, we proclaim joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. Today we have gathered here to behold, to look, to check it out, to see the slain and risen king. We have gathered here today to honor him, not just with our lips, but with our lives. Today we continue our sermon series called Behold, in which we've been exploring some of the biggest beholds of scripture, moments where the biblical authors Use words like hine in Hebrew or edu in Greek to draw special attention to the actions of God. 
We've looked at Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19, which reads, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now that makes no sense whatsoever. No sense. A way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert, but God's doing a new thing. And God can do anything. And Matthew 1.23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And today, it's all about beholding the good news of great joy. How the birth of Jesus, it sends shockwaves of hope and joy throughout all space, time, and eternity. So if you would, turn with me to Revelation, and I invite you to stand as we read from our memory verse. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. And let's read these words together. Let's proclaim this loudly and boldly. Verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. You know, amen is not just a thing you say at the end of a prayer. It actually means something. So be it, or let it be. So, Lord, let it be. We surrender our lives, our intellect, our ingenuity, our pride, our arrogance, our wisdom. We surrender it all before you. And we ask, God, that you would receive our lives, our hands, our feet, all that we are. Enlarge our hearts today. Enlarge our minds to see what you see, to love how you love And would we just be consumed by your joy? Teach us what it means to have this good news of great joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name, the name that never fails. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Have you ever been waiting so patiently? so agonizingly for that package in the mail, that good news of great joy. You know, you head down to the post office and you are pumped because today might just be the day that the package arrives, that good news of great joy. You've been tracking this all over the United States. You've been receiving text message updates regarding the location status of this package, this good news of great joy. And you finally receive a notification that it is on the truck headed for delivery. And so you race on down to the post office and your stomach is fluttering with butterflies. Your heart is thumping in your chest. Your legs feel like pogo sticks. Your hands karate chop the old lady in your way because nothing is going to stop you from receiving this good news of great joy in the mail. Your hands, they shake. Your fingers fumble with the keys. But you finally get the key in there and you twist the lock and you nearly rip the little door off of its hinges. And then cascading light pours forth and angel voices resound 
And there, sitting in the glowing, divine, majestic light, your package, the good news of great joy that you've always, for the past three days, been waiting for. That's not the way our text opens this morning. Our text in Luke chapter 2 doesn't open with good news of great joy. I mean, sure, there's the whole story about this long-awaited coming Messiah who is on his way. And sure, there's the whole story about the angel Gabriel who spoke to the Virgin Mary and walked her through the whole prenatal process and, you know, is telling her that inside of her was growing the Son of the Most High. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. Sure, there's all that. But Luke chapter 2 opens with anything but good news of great joy. It opens with taxes. Yuck. Anybody like taxes? No? All right. Check your pulse. Make sure you're alive here today. Because I don't think anybody likes taxes. No, give me more taxes. (laughs) Turn with me now to Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says, In those days, a decree that would be from the Roman Senate went out from Caesar Augustus, a.k.a. Octavian, who was the Caesar of the Roman Empire from B.C. 27 to 14 A.D. He was known as an emperor who was quite the admin guy. It says this about him. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, that they should get ready to pay taxes. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his or her own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now, the trek from Nazareth to Bethlehem was about 90 miles. As you can see on the map, we go from the north directly to the south. But remember, this is no experience the Holy Land tourism trek. Now, this is a trek to pay taxes. That's rough. We go from Nazareth in the north to a small village located about seven miles south-southwest of Jerusalem, a village called Bayat Lachem in Hebrew. It means house of bread. We go from a place, Nazareth, that's not all that special, to the house of bread, which is not much to write home about. Well, Bethlehem was important as being the birthplace of King David, but after David, it appears to have sunken into insignificance. Verse 5 continues, With Joseph, he went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. But where is there? I mean, yeah, we're in Bethlehem, but specifically, where is there? It's not at Bethlehem Memorial Hospital. It's not at the urgent care of Judea. There refers to somewhere on the streets of Bethlehem. Such a fitting birth for a king. Such a fitting birth for the Savior 
of the world. Verse 7 says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. The Greek is phatne, which means feeding trough, because there was no place for them in the inn. The birth of Jesus is unexpectedly humble. In an overcrowded city, 90 miles from home, registering to pay taxes, away in a feeding trough. But the birth of Jesus is unexpectedly significant. In an overcrowded city, 90 miles from home, registering to pay taxes, away in a feeding trough, wrapped in swaddling cloths. That's the traditional designation Swaddling cloths. Well, what are swaddling cloths? Let's take a look at what this means. They were strips of linen that would be wrapped around the arms and legs of an infant to keep their limbs protected. So for baby Jesus, these strips of cloth were wrapped around his little arms and little legs. Arms and legs that would later be pierced by nails. Nails that would cause him great harm and suffering and death, but nails that would bring us life and hope and joy. For the death of Jesus is unlike any other death ever. This is no mere death because this was no mere man. God became human and gave his life as a ransom for many. In his death, he bore our shame, our guilt, our sin, our wrongdoing. But we, the people who have been walking in darkness, we have seen a great light. On those who are living in the pitch dark land, light has dawned. And his name is Jesus. I think that's good news. Verse 8 continues as our scene shifts to some shepherds who are hanging out in the field at night. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The Greek is phabon megon, literally with mega fear with mega fear. I mean, they are encountering a divine being from the heavenly realms. And so it's only natural that they would experience this mega fear. It's only the natural response. I mean, when they see an angel of the Lord as it appeared to them, I think we need to think less like Hallmark baby angels fluttering about, shooting heart-shaped bows and arrows, I think we need to think more like thunderous lightning and power that could easily blow houses down without even huffing or puffing. The shepherds, they feared and trembled, so much so that they totally lost their minds, and rightly so. Verse 10 says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, karan megale, of mega joy, that will be for all the people. Mega fear is now met with the good news of mega joy. 
Fear not, for behold, look, check it out, see, I bring you good news of mega joy. And this mega joy, it's better than any Lexus December to remember sales event. It's not just now through January 3rd. And even though every kiss begins with K, this mega joy is far more valuable. It's far better than any two-diamond true love necklace. And even though Gillette is the best a man can get, or some men, this good news of mega joy is the best ever. I think it's interesting, though, that the angel of the Lord comes to the shepherds and gives them good news of great joy. It's not good news of great happiness or good news of pure bliss. Because happiness and joy are actually not the same thing. Often we use those terms interchangeably, but they're not the same thing. Let's take a look at what joy and happiness mean. Let's take a a look first at joy. In Scripture, joy is repeatedly shown to be the natural outcome of fellowship with God. It's what comes from being in a relationship with God. As Psalm 16, 11b says about God, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God is at once the source and the object of joy. Jesus bestows in John, the gospel of John chapter 14 here, on his followers not only peace but participation in his own joy, a joy which is permanent in contrast to sorrow, which is transient. It comes and goes. Same thing with happiness. Well, what's the difference between happiness and joy? Let's take a look at that. Happiness versus joy. Happiness is a feeling that's based on circumstances, while joy is an attitude that defies circumstances. In Christ, the Christian, as 1 Peter 1.8 says, the Christian rejoices with unspeakable joy and full of glory in spite or in the face of their temporary afflictions. Christian joy is a result of the triumph of faith over adverse and trying circumstances. This means that you can have joy right in the middle, smack dab, in the midst of adverse and trying circumstances. That's exactly what joy means. And we see our passage thus far completely loaded with joy. Even before the angel of the Lord gives this pronouncement, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Even before that, we see Mary, who's giddy. She's bursting at the seams with joy. If you don't believe me, let's go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 46. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold... From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, 
and holy is his name. And then when it came time for, baby, for Mary's baby to be hatched, when the, the bun was done cooking in the oven, as any mother would know, as any mother would know, thank you for laughing, Rachel. That was, was that you? Oh, it wasn't you. Oh, sorry. That's, oh, thanks, Deborah. So, uh, as any mother would know, everyone else can laugh too, you know? That's all right. If it was funny, you would laugh, right? Is that what you're telling me? Okay. Just, <laughs> just want to make sure. So back to where were we at? Mary. As any mother would know, whether your baby is born in a hospital or a car or a stable or wherever, there's great joy in this event. Maybe not pure bliss, maybe not pain-free happiness, but great joy. And the shepherds, they experience great fear as they encounter this angelic being from the heavenly realms. But then what's amazing is that great joy, like perfect love, it casts out great fear. Great joy casts out great fear. Our text here will continue in verse 11, but let's go back to verse 10 to get the context. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For, and this is the whole reason why there can be great joy. Verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Joy is the triumph of faith over adverse and trying circumstances. The only reason we can have joy to the world, the only reason we can have the triumph of faith over adverse and trying circumstances is precisely because Jesus, the Lord, has come. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. But you know by now that's a feeding trough. But what kind of a sign is that? Okay, there's a baby born in Bethlehem. I mean, how many other countless babies were born this night? But the big clue for this first century ancient Near Eastern geocache here for these shepherds is that this baby is wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a feeding trough. So let's forget about going to the hospitals and the normal places where babies would be born. Let's go to the stables. Verse 13. It says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, a heavenly host is a vast army, not a bunch of restaurant greeters. They were praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, we experience God's peace when we please him. When we please him, we experience God's peace. Now, that doesn't mean that all the struggles and all the trials and all the hardship go away because peace is not the absence of conflict or trial. Peace is the presence of God in the midst, in the middle of conflict and trial. But I've realized in my life when, when I try to be obedient, when I try to do what God says, when I try to live a life that is faithful and pleasing to him, 
have peace. I experience his peace when I please God. And the struggles don't automatically disappear, but I have a hope that God is present. So if God is telling you to do something today, you better do it. Verse 15 says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Whoa, that was crazy. That was probably the first thing they said, but the Lucan author records them saying, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. I have a big question mark right here. Why did the angel of the Lord go to the shepherds? Why not the blacksmiths or the candle makers? Why the shepherds? Well, there's a, a lot of different ways we can look at this. This has been long since debated by scholars, but I want to give us just two options for interpretations. That perhaps the angel of the Lord went to the shepherds first because they were considered lowly. Let's take a look at what this might mean. The shepherds are thought to have been culturally despised in Jesus' day. Their work with all the sheep made them ceremonially unclean, and they had a bad reputation. for being untrustworthy. <laughs> Thus God first sent the gospel, that is the good news to the lowly. And Luke's gospel is very much concerned with the lowly, with the plight of the poor, the marginalized, the afflicted, the outcasts. So this is the interpretation. These shepherds represent all people of lowly origin and reputation who receive the gospel by God's grace and proclaim it joyfully to others. Perhaps, maybe that's why the angel of the Lord went to the shepherds, because they're lowly. Or we could also understand that the angel of the Lord went to the shepherds because they represent something kingly. Here's another, translate, or another uh, option for interpretation. Perhaps they were symbolic of kingship. You see this shepherd motif, uh, shepherd king motif spanning the length of scripture. It's all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the ancient Near East, the term shepherd is often used interchangeably with king. Kings were often called shepherds of the people. So do these shepherds then represent kingship coming before the baby king Jesus? Perhaps. You know, I, I don't know. But what I do know is that these shepherds did something absolutely crazy. I mean, when we begin to imagine the scene, they go and take off after they've just had this conversation with this angelic being and bright light is surrounding them. They go and run through the town looking for the baby Jesus. Now, I wonder if they had their sheep with them at the same time. This would cause quite a stir, quite a ruckus. I imagine a, a shopkeeper who stumbles out of his house sleepy-eyed and agitated. Frank! Leroy! What y'all doing? Frank and Leroy. Oh, hey, Steve, sorry to wake you there. Uh, how do I explain this? Uh, well, we were out in the field, and uh, there was a bright light, and an angel, an angel spoke to us, yeah, and gave us good news of great joy. And uh, told us there was a baby that's going to be born tonight 
and uh, it's in a feeding trough. Yeah, so we're going to go to the stables and look for a baby. That's crazy. It sounds absolutely ludicrous. But when you have great joy, you have great and sometimes seemingly crazy purposes. When you have great joy, you have great and sometimes seemingly crazy purposes. I think about 2010, that was the peak of the recession here. And I know a lot of people here experienced really hard times. Job loss. I lost a, a job at a church during 2010's recession. And it was hard. And I don't know what really prompted us to do this. But we chose to be faithful to God and do something absolutely crazy. We decided, you know what, let's, uh, let's plant a church in a backyard. Uh, where are we going to get support? Well, we just won't get support. Uh, how about like a church backing? Nah, we just won't get the church backing. So we're going to go start a church in the middle of a recession at the peak with zero backing and zero outside support. And here we are today. But all glory goes to God because it was his plan and all we had to do was show up and be faithful and we're surprised still that people show up. We really are. From the backyard to the tree to the boys and girls club to here. And it's the work of God and the work of faithful people who, who make this all possible. I've got to meet so many incredible people here and get to hear your stories and experience your friendship, your love, your generosity your tenderness, all this wonderful stuff just because of how faithful God is and how faithful you are. It's amazing to do crazy stuff. So if God's telling you to do crazy stuff and everybody else says you're crazy, you should probably do the crazy stuff. I had a lady, uh, first service, um, who came up to me after and she said, you know what? That resonated with me, what you said about doing crazy stuff because... She brought her son, who was going through extremely hard times, addiction, all this different stuff. And she's like, I really felt like God told me that I need to bring him back into our home again. And everybody told me I'm crazy. It's like, no, you're enabling him. You're, you're not doing what you should do. You should give him tough love and all this stuff. She's like, I felt God saying this. And it sounded crazy to me myself, but I did it. And the, the guy's amazing. He's coming to church. He's growing, he's changing, he's transforming. God sometimes does some stuff that we don't understand. We just got to be faithful and obedient and listen. Well, verse 16 says, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered. You could also translate that as they marveled or were astonished at what the shepherds told them. That's probably the politically correct way of saying, dudes, you shepherds are crazy. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. 
She's doing what anybody would do who experiences and encounters the living God. She's trying to make sense of things. She's trying to put the pieces together. Oh my gosh, I just gave birth to God. 100% human and 100% God. This is crazy. So she's got to put some things together, store up these treasures in her heart and ponder them. That's actually what she's called, theotokos in a lot of church traditions, the mother of God. Well, you're the mother of Jesus, not necessarily the mother of God. God existed before all. Yeah, yeah, we're going on and on off tangent here. But anyway, she treasures up these things, ponders them. This is not the first, this is not the last time that she's going to be doing this either. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. I want to invite the band back up as we close today. I remember staring at the streaked white linoleum floor next to vending machines and year-old magazines. And I remember I was clenching the armrests so tightly, these hard plastic armrests so tightly that I thought they would burst. As I strained my ears to listen, to what the surgeon had to say. He said, he made it through the surgery and everything looks good. I remember standing before rows and rows of stone-faced, junior high and high school students. And I shared with them some of my favorite stories about plane flights, trips to the dentist, about wolves and throwing hatchets, and all relating it to the Bible. And uh, I was so sweaty and nervous and shaking as I gave my very first sermon and they seemed to like it. And they decided to keep me around. I remember walking through seas of people. I was wearing a goofy square-shaped hat and a long black robe like a judge. The pipe organ was blaring hymns of praise. And as we walked in line, I felt like crying. And I did. Because I was done. I finished. I had received a master's of theology. I was done. I had completed it. Achieved my goal. was finished. Until I felt God pressing me to go further. I remember standing beneath a, a huge wooden hazelnut-colored arbor that we had built 
me and some guys from the church and the man who was now walking the most beautiful bride down the aisle. And behold, look, check it out. See, they were, they were heading to me. And there underneath the arbor, we made our vows to each other and to God. And we knew in that moment that the road ahead, that the journey ahead was going to be full of challenge and adventure and great love. These are just a few snapshots of joy in my personal life. There are countless other stories of joy, of the triumph of faith over adverse and trying circumstances. I know there's stories like that in this room, countless, thousands, millions, billions of stories of joy. There's also stories of hardship and death and loss and dying. But you know what I love most about joy? What I love most about the triumph of faith over and trying circumstances, what I love most about it is that we felt like giving up. We felt like giving up. We felt like giving in. We felt like quitting when the going got tough. And when everything was crumbling around us, when we were done, when we were through, someone inside us Someone beside us, someone before us, someone behind us whispered, and he said, don't give up. Don't give up, for I am with you. And you know what? We made it through. We are making it through, and we will always make it through. Sure, there may be bumps and bruises. There may be broken bones and scars along the way, but we carry a message of hope, good news of great joy. The question is, what are you going to do with it? What are we going to do with this message, this good news of great joy? Are we going to hide it? Are we going to conceal it? Or are we going to bring it out and praise the king like he should be praised? Are we, are we just going to, you know, do nothing with the gift of free life everlasting? Or are we going to walk through each and every obstacle, triumphing in our faith over every obstacle, over the adverse and trying circumstances that we go through? I know and I believe that you are not the type of person who's going to give up. I know that you are the type of person who's going to hold on. You're going to be tenacious like a bulldog, like a pit bull. You're going to hold on to this hope. You're going to hold on to this message of great joy and never let go. Because that's the type of person you are. You're going to go outside of this place and you're going to share this message of hope to all the people you come in contact with. Sure, you might be afraid. Sure, you might not know what to say. I don't know what to say, but I'm going to go love people 
one person at a time. I'm going to go share this message and just let it come out naturally. I'm going to invite somebody to church. Use these cards. Use your mouth. Use the gifts that God has given each and every one of us to go and love this world one person at a time. We have this good news of great joy, so let us not put it to waste. For this is precious. This is valuable. This is good. And let us give God glory. Let's praise the King like he should. So Father, we come before you and we thank you and we praise you. We ask you, Lord, to be enthroned in our hearts. Make your home in our hearts that we may learn to love you and see you and experience you in a larger way. We thank you for the gift of salvation, of life everlasting, that is bought by the precious blood of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, if someone in here today needs to experience that salvation for the first time, they would pray, Jesus, would you come into my heart? I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, but you rose from the grave, defeating death once and for all. So come into my life, become my king, May your Holy Spirit lead me all the days of my life. We give you praise and honor, Jesus, for you have done what we could never do. For you have loved us when we were unlovable. When we were unworthy, you made us worthy. So fill us now, Lord, with your presence, with your joy everlasting. We pray these things in the name that will never fail, in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.